Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Work, the podcast that tackles tough topics in the workplace. My co-host is John Sumser, and I'm Gina Kelly. We're joined today by our guest, Caitlin McGregor. Caitlin is the CEO and co-founder of Plum. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. Would you please tell our listeners a bit about yourself and about Plum? Hi, um, as you said, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Plum. We're a software as a service platform that is able to quantify what makes somebody exceptional in terms of their transferable innate talents, like their ability to innovate, work well with others, execute. And we help employers use that data to screen in people based on their potential, be able to help their employees grow and develop and find new opportunities through internal mobility, and identify leadership potential so that we can help ensure we have greater bench strength of more diverse leaders as they progress in their career. Well, that's a lot. So how exactly do you do that? So what we've taken is best practices from industrial organizational psychology. So there's a real science behind measuring people's kind of transferable capabilities or as people used to call soft skills, there's a science of being able to measure it accurately. And then really we're able to understand if somebody is going to feel fulfilled in their work that will help them perform better and be retained longer by ensuring that if somebody's natural strength is in innovation, being able to match them with a job where innovation is required for a big part of their job. We know that people that are matched with jobs that utilize their strengths, um, that's where you get an increase in performance and fulfillment and retention. Versus if you take somebody who is driven to execute and they're set up in a job where their plate is always so full and they're pulled in different directions all the time and there's no clear understanding of what they're supposed to do and they're never able to get through checking that to-do list, it'll be really frustrating for them. So really, it's about measuring people and measuring the roles and matching them together using the science of industrial organizational psychology. So, John, what's your take on IO psychology? Well, you don't really know what I think on IO psychology. It's, a, it's, a, it's, am I off? You're okay. Christian, could you cut that little piece out? Yeah. We lost you, like you you were too far away for a moment. Okay, so so let let's we'll pick it we'll pick it up with John. I'm not sure it's fixed. John, did you hear me? A little better. Let's see if it's my mic. Yeah, I can. You're okay. Okay, you're okay, John. Could you pick it up from um, you were saying about your take on IO psychology? If you could repeat that, please. My take on IO psychology is that it's a 20, 20th century discipline um, and that um, there's there's not not been much in the way of innovation in IO psychology that uh, uh, makes it useful. And this is the question that, that I have for Caitlin is, it seems like context is the primary determiner of success. And you you often see people who are successful in one setting fail in another setting that appears to require the exact same sorts of skills and temperament. Does Plum address context? 
So we do based on what are the behavioral needs in the job. So that's what's actually changing is that, you know, there is this perception that all salespeople are the same. But when you look at the data, that's not the case. Are you selling to enterprise? Are you selling to B2B? Are you selling to innovative buyers? Are you buying, you know, selling to people that are more risk adverse? Are you selling something that is well established or are you having to figure it out? Are you hunting? Are you are you nurturing? There's so many variations, for example, in sales, the behaviors that are required to hit quota at one company may be very different than the behaviors needed to be successful in the next company. Whereas you could have a job like an underwriter that you know may have transferable uh, things in common with a product manager. And so somebody who may have never been a product manager in the past may all of a sudden be able to thrive in a brand new role because it's requiring that set of behaviors uh, that they're naturally good at and, and thrive at and have developed into maybe a different role. So I agree with you, context is what's critical. The problem is, is that often that context is not measured. You know, we rely on a job description and say that that's, that's the context. And it's, it's not an accurate way of, of measuring the context. And we also rely on things like eligibility. Does somebody have prior experience? Do they have the right education? And we can see consistently that past education and past experience is not a predictor of performance. It's just not. And yet we use it all the time to screen people out of the process. It's really a false proxy for knowing if they will do well. And what you need to know is what are those behaviors that they are going to need and that's how you matching somebody based on the needed behaviors is how you can predict long-term performance. I guess friend who's, I, have a, I have a friend who says a resume is a list of all the things that you never want to do again. <laughs> um, and and get, it gets at a pretty interesting point for me. The, the contemporary recruiting landscape is littered with matching systems and the matching systems find people who have all of the credentials required for the job, which means contemporary recruiting does not hire people for challenge. It does not hire people for development. And so my question for you with that is, do you have a way of understanding what constitutes challenge and making that a part of the decision-making process when you help with recruiting department? Yeah, I think it comes down to another way of talking about it is, you know, are you able to predict that if you were to put somebody in a brand new situation that they've never done? And frankly, every job in so many ways is a brand new situation. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're able to say one job is identical to another, especially in this day and age. So every job in a way is a brand new situation. And the question is, will that person be able to adapt and thrive in the new situation? And I think that's really what we're getting at is understanding their potential. If we just gave them the opportunity, how likely are they to succeed? And I think there's a question of, you know, obviously sometimes there's some prerequisites that need to be in place and there's some, you know, maybe you don't have time to get that person up to speed. So you need to say, are they familiar with certain things? But if we look at past the six month mark, Knowing if two candidates, which one's going to outperform the other, that what they've done in the past starts to become less and less relevant. I mean, this is all the work that's being done on the future of work, the shelf life of past experience, the shelf life of our skills. 
that shelf life is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So I, I think that it absolutely is, you know, talking about will this person continue to grow as new things get thrown at them, as they ha- get new experiences, how well are they going to adapt to those new experiences? And I don't mean some people are good at adapting, some people aren't. It goes back to, look, if I'm naturally strong at communication and there's a brand new piece of thought leadership that I'm going to have to sink my teeth in, if, if I'm really good at communication, I'm going to be able to tackle that challenge and deliver on it. But if I, in the beginning, struggle with communication, that's going to take me longer. It's going to be draining on me. It's going to be taxing. It's not going to be fulfilling. It's going to feel frustrating because it's already something that I'm not good at. So it's really talking about, is this person going to be set up for success in this new environment with the new things they're learning? Or are they going to be set up to be really burnt out, which is going to lead them to leave the organization and and not perform well? That suggests that you've got a method for understanding what a job is. Is Is that part of the Plum approach? Correct. We often start with talking about, you know, at the end of the day, organizations need to be more human centric. And in order to do that, you need to understand the individual. So we spend a lot of time talking about how we understand the individual and how the individual can benefit from that self-awareness and, and that data. But the secret sauce is then really understanding the roles and being able to dynamically update that understanding as roles change, and then being able to match people into the right roles that will utilize what makes them exceptional to begin with. I have have a question that I think will help our listeners frame this. Can you give us some examples of some of the soft skills that you're measuring for, Caitlin? You've mentioned communications, for example. I think I also heard you um, mention uh, the ability to adapt. What are some of the others? Innovation, persuasion, managing others, execution, conflict resolution. There's 10 talents, and these are a mixture of, uh, so you talked about, you know, IO psychology, that there are a lot of assessments that use models that were built in World War II. That's what you're talking about. And and I share your your frustration with those still being present. That's where John's Uh, bias comes from. (laughs) (laughs) But if you look at the, you know, the consensus among, you know, the people that are actively working on this, that the people that have PhDs in industrial organizational psychology, the gold standard for personality is the big five or five factor model. And that's not, that's greatly evolved from World War II and and more current. So we look at the five factor model or um, big five when it comes to personality, but we do in a way that you can't fake or game, which is really important. And we also look at problem solving ability, not what you've learned in the past, but how well do you handle brand new situations called fluid intelligence. And we looked at social intelligence, which is like EQ, just actually scientific. And it's about how well do you solve people problems? If there's a work situation, what's the best way to respond to get the best from people? And what's the worst way to respond that would get you the worst from people? We take the scores from all of that data and it's a universal assessment. We're getting to know the individual regardless of the role. So it's a one-time 25-minute assessment. And the output of that is a profile that talks about these are the three things out of 10 
that make you exceptional. You can promote those on LinkedIn. You can use that to have better self-awareness. And for employees, we give them a full professional development guide of all 10 talents, all you know, order of priority, because everybody has these 10 talents and some of them drive us and give us a sense of self-worth and allow us to jump out of bed in the morning, loving our job. And some of them drain us and they take more time and they really drain our battery and, and make it sluggish and hard to get through that stuff. Whereas you could delegate it to somebody else who excels in that would be a win-win for everybody. I, I have to, um, uh, shameless plug. Uh, I took the assessment and, um, John, you know I'm just a cynic about everything these days, and uh, I could not game it. Uh, I also, when I started it, I looked at what it was asking me, and I said, oh, wow, um, there's like no way I can can circumvent what I'm being presented with. You, you had to actually sit and pay attention and do it. Um, but at the other end was this amazingly accurate profile. And and I just thought it was, uh, on one level, um, a little scary, uh, very much, uh, for me, um, validating because of where I am in my career. I could see where if someone was an early stage entrant into the, into the workplace, that this would give them uh, confidence and um, a level of self-awareness that would be very difficult to get to on your own. I know, for example, Scotiabank is using Plum, uh, and I think it's in their campus recruiting program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, can't, uh, Scotiabank has committed to a resume-less future, meaning that all of their uh, early you know, campus graduates, early career roles, um, internship roles, when you apply to the bank, you don't apply with a resume. Instead, you apply with your 25-minute Plum assessment. And what happens is that you're not just applying for job A, you're applying to the bank and they're matching you against 62 different jobs and saying where you would best be suited so that you'd be leveraging your strengths. It's amazing, you know, before they used to only hire from a handful of elite colleges and universities, only business and finance backgrounds. And after using this, now they're hiring from over 33 different colleges and universities. And 40% of their hires are STEM and arts backgrounds. 50% of their hires are women. And they've increased the number of underrepresented minorities to 60%. And they've been able to um, double retention as a result. And so it's just incredible in terms of this has allowed them to open the aperture and screen in people based on their potential and place them into roles that people would have never even self-selected into in the first place. And I think that part is so fascinating because, you know, companies spend enormous amounts of money on their employer brand. And then you go to their career site, and unless you can fit into a certain bucket, uh, there's really the ATS is not welcoming in terms of you applying for a job. And John, you as an expert in talent acquisition technology, I bet you have some thoughts on this. I'm curious. I want to drop back for a second and ask, how do people develop in this framework that you're, that you're laying out? You've got these 10 talents. Do I, do I only have three top talents and I'm stuck with them for all of eternity? Or is there some hope for me? Um, to develop? So the first step is self-awareness. It's understanding what it is that makes you exceptional. 
I mean, when we're able to say that, you know, you're driven by persuasion, it's also saying that when you get to work in a job where you utilize persuasion, it drives you, it fills your bucket. It gives you this incredible feeling. So the question is, is why wouldn't you want to be in a job where you get to utilize that? And if something like teamwork is something that drains you and you're in an environment where you're having to constantly involve others, you're not able to go and work on your own things, you know, there's an environment that wants you to go out to happy hours in order to, you know, and you really just need to get back to your family, like that can be really draining. And so, you know, am I supposed to all of a sudden love teamwork and all of a sudden go and join a, a job and a company that teamwork is the most important? No, the idea is to be self-aware of saying, hey, if teamwork is something that drains me, it means that maybe instead of going out every week for happy hour, maybe I'm going to communicate that I'm going to go out once a month. And then I'm not getting penalized the three times in the month I'm not going. Instead, I'm celebrated that I went out of my way and I took the effort and everybody knows that that was a really big deal for me. And when I'm there once a month, it's seen as a positive. And because I know it's really draining, I'm going to be more self-aware to wrap up my work maybe 30 minutes before. So I have time to transition. I'm going to make sure that I don't, you know, um, book anything else social later that day so that I have time to recover. And I start to create coping strategies. And it's kind of like your phone battery. When your phone battery gets below 20%, you want to flip into battery saving mode. So it's a little less draining. So it's about creating coping strategies so that you can, put yourself in a battery saving mode and you can communicate those around you so that they can support you and be more aware of how to support you and to set yourself up for positions where and opportunities where they're going to lean on the things that you bring to the table. If you're a part of a team and you're the best person at persuasion, then when there's an opportunity to set a new direction and communicate that you want those type of tasks being sent to you and not your colleague who hates to persuade. So now to the technology question. Much of much of recruiting is driven by the technology that's used in recruiting, and what you're describing is uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe if I call it an empathetic form of recruiting, that would that would do it some justice. It's a different mindset than we have to process fifty thousand resumes and winnow it down to the critical three. It's 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 a different view altogether. So that must make your uh, growth dependent on a lot of missionary work um, because because you you need to find people who are um, likely to pick up this mantle. Um, and I'm curious, what what's that like? What's it, what's it like being this different from the norm? Um. Honestly, I think COVID was really important because I think it shifted employers' view. Instead of seeing employees as cogs in a the machine, they it advanced our need to recognize that we are dealing with humans and the more information we have about how they you know, thrive and how they get drained and burnt out, the more information we have about those human qualities the more successful employers are going to be at selecting people that are going to perform well, that are going to be retained, that are going to add to their, their company. So I think that there are more than ever 
early adopter companies that are taking this human-centric approach and care about supporting their people and know that this data is part of what's missing in order to do that. So it's exciting when I get to talk to companies who are on that journey and COVID has helped accelerate them on that journey. Uh, I, it is frustrating when, you know, people talk all the time right now about the war for talent and that, you know, there aren't enough people applying for jobs. And so they're fighting with their competitors over the same talent pool. And I just want to scream from the rooftops, stop fishing where all your competitors are fishing. Stop using the same, you know, eligibility criteria as your competitors are, are using. Scotiabank is a great example where they opened the aperture. They went after people that on paper had never had that profile that pattern matched to everybody else. These were new people with, and they were hired based on potential. And I think that's the opportunity in the market when there's this labor shortage. It's really about how do we screen in people that we normally weren't looking at and seeing this as an opportunity and a differentiator. The other thing that you know is frustrating is and exciting is that there's an opportunity to say this data doesn't end with just hiring somebody. How do we allow the manager to use this data to onboard people in the first 90 days so that they're having meaningful conversations about how they can support their people, how the people leaders can have the data about their people to properly lead them and support them. And that's really what we did right before the pandemic was say, okay, how do we take this data beyond talent acquisition and allow it to take the new hire through the entire employee life cycle? How does this become part of their professional development conversations, part of their onboarding? How does it become part of internal mobility. Instead of just looking for new people outside the organization, how do we better utilize people inside the organization? So I think this is an exciting time and that there is more and more this melding of talent acquisition and talent management and more and more seeing existing employees as somebody that needs to be supported and nurtured. And this can also do it. So I think there's plenty of opportunity. But yes, the status quo, we need to be working with companies that are ready to break away from the status quo. And it sounds like you have to train a lot of hiring managers about how to think differently about their jobs and their people. Um, is, does Plum have a uh, uh, sort of a um, retrofitting old hiring managers function where you, where you bring people in and give them an indoctrination and say, here's how you, here's how you really take the, the ball as a coach and a manager and bring your people along. And this is why you need the Plum data to do that. We are, even though we're talking about this very human-centric approach, we still are software as a service. So what we really perfected in parallel with making sure we, we were using best-in-class science was a really positive user experience, one that made sure that the language that we're using, like innovation and communication, that it's intuitive, it's, it's understandable, that when I talk about what drives and drains you, there's really strong visualization to help reinforce that. You know, when it comes to recruiters, you know, we can assess thousands upon thousands of people instantly and a recruiter's looking at here's your 98% and why, here's your, you know, 85% and why, here's your 35% and why. And you're seeing a very quick way of shortlisting people based on potential. So we've done a lot to make sure that the software is intuitive. Really what we have to do is sell them on the why. That's the hard part is finding the organizations that align with this why of do they want people working at their organization that want to jump out of the bed in the morning because they're excited about working at their company and the work that they're doing? 
You know, if they want that, then it's a pretty, it's pretty easy to get to, well, it, is the resume telling you that or your, your keyword matching solutions? Are they telling you if your people are going to thrive? So it's the selling them on the why, but how to use the tool. Once you have that buy-in, it's fairly straightforward and seamless. And we spent a lot of work on ensuring that can properly scale. I'm going to push back a little bit and say, if that was true, then we wouldn't have some of the crises that we have. But but hiring managers are driven by bonuses. And I don't know of, of a company yet that's bonused on um, making employees feel like they're jumping out of bed to go to work. They're bonused on revenue and they're bonused on widget production. And, and so just being able to use the tool doesn't get you to why I should change the way I manage my little parochial department um, to incorporate the kinds of insights that you offer. So how do you deal with that? Because that's, that's, really that, that's adoption over time. Yeah, I think it comes into the reason why employers are paying for this. You're right. You know, they need a slightly different motivation. And, and the value prop for the employers is that, you know, the proof is in the numbers. So, you know, Whirlpool, for example, they increased the number of new hires of underrepresented minorities to 78%. So they were able to, you know, remove the bias in the hiring process, bring in this objective data and dramatically impact their numbers for their, their goal of increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organization. So that's why they purchased. They also, you know, were looking at something that would help bring efficiency. So they were able to make sure that they were, you know, screening in people that had the greatest likelihood of performance. And so they did a validation study with us first where people with higher scores performed better. And so now they can have confidence throughout the organization that hiring with people with higher scores are going to be people that stay and perform better. Um, when we look at, you know, other results, like it really comes down to, you know, we have another company where 93% of managers said that they would rehire their plum recommended matches again. So it's, it comes down to them looking for an increase in performance, looking for an increase in retention, looking for an increase in DEI. And that's typically why they're buying. And they recognize the current ways that they're doing aren't hitting those metrics for them. Well, and I think um, I think the dynamic has shifted, don't you? I think that uh, post-COVID, uh, we're being driven by what the workers want and, and what's important to them. So there's new currencies in the workplace that we haven't had to deal with previously. And I think employers have to respond to that. Otherwise, they're not going to be the employer of choice that people are onboarding with. They'll be the ones that uh, the candidates are going to the competition instead. You know, as I'm sitting here listening, and and, and Caitlin, you're talking about your SaaS model, um, uh, there's a lot of data that comes along with all of this. Uh, talk to us about the data. Um, how do your clients use the data? Also, you know, there are, there are policy issues emerging with the use of AI and this type of technology. And is is there any uh, impact on Plum as it relates to that? And where do you stand on that? So uh, New York City law uh, has restricted the use of AI in employment decisions. And the reality is, is that we support anything 
um, used in the, we support that anything used in the selection, selection process should be audited for bias. Um, and this includes everything. You know, we believe that algorithms should be based on good theory, ample evidence, testing, and this process should be overseen by experts in the field. And we follow all of those ourselves. And we are looking to challenge existing selection processes to kind of, you know, force them to up their game and ensure that they are removing bias from hiring process. So things like resumes, you know, would love to see that being audited and seeing if, uh, you know, companies are, are having bias from the status quo. And so, you know, we think that these new laws are heading in the right direction and hopefully are making companies recognize that, you know, they should be using the most valid predictors of performance. They should be using the policies that screen people in and, you know, are really giving people the opportunity to be learning more on the job, allowing more opportunities for us to be on the job. Interesting. I think this is very interesting. Um, John, we we only have a moment remaining with Caitlin. Is there is there anything you'd like to add? Well, thank you. There's an hour's worth of stuff that I'd like to add and kick around with Caitlin. This is such this is such a great topic. You and have to take a plum profile, by the way. You have to complete a plum. That is mandatory now. Well, well, okay. So let's start with let's start with me taking a plum profile. I will discover, I imagine, that I do have a personality. Um, <laughs> oh, you are quite a personality. Yeah, I don't think that's what yeah, we're going yeah. to discover. We might discover some other things, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so I don't think that, I don't think there's enough time. I would love to dig further into the question of bias and how you how you pull it out. That's a a huge ethical quandary today um, about whether it's possible to remove bias. I, I, I doubt that it is, uh, but but in general, this sounds super exciting. It gets it gets at some of the problems that I think plague the recruiting business. So, bravo, and let's have you back and talk the next level down in detail. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Caitlin. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, so you can go to, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I know your website is Plum.io. Yes, um, they can go to Plum, they can go to Plum.io. I think they can also email hello at Plum.io as well. Um, so hello at Plum.io or just go to Plum.io. Um, people can also take their own Plum profile by going to Plum.io slash DS for discovery survey. Oh, what a great offer. And there's no charge for anything like that. Is that correct? That's correct. That is wonderful. I hope our listeners will take you up on that. Well, we want to thank Caitlin and John uh, on our next episode. You will have to reveal your Plum profile. So we're holding you to that. Um, But I want to thank our listeners. Please like, listen, and subscribe to the work. Our guest today has been Caitlin McGregor. CEO and co-founder of Plum. Thank you so much. Have a great day.